1: JJ, I also want to thank all my listeners from around the globe. Never ever give up hope is now heard in close to 70 different countries. It is the message of hope that the world needs to hear, plain and simple. No matter who we are, no matter what our ethnic background is, no matter what our financial background or position is, no matter what our educational background is, Each and every one of us is not immune to problems. Everybody has had problems in their life. We are human, bottom line. And all of us at some point need the message of hope. And I am so pleased and excited that I get to share this message from people from all walks of life all over this globe who have come to a place in their life where it feels hopeless and not only have they survived and overcome but they have also thrived and became successful and have a message that they can give to other people who may have um, encountered the same kind of experiences so I'm so thrilled about that. And with me today is another guest who's going to be very exciting. I have waited, um, very interested in interviewing her ever since I saw her on the Dr. Phil show. I don't normally watch Dr. Phil, I just happened to flip the channels and whatever she was saying at that time caught my attention and I needed to hear this woman's story. And as I listened to her story, I knew that she needed to be on Never Ever Give Up Hope and today's the day. I am so pleased that she is here. I also thank my listeners for all the comments that they leave on iTunes and also my website and sharing uh, the messages that these people, my guests, are giving. Every single one of them is an incredible guest, and I thank each one of them and also my listeners. Anita Barney is my guest today. She is a speaker and the author of a memoir entitled Quarterback Sneak, Exposing the Criminal Game Plan of Art Schliester. Now, some of you may have already heard of her, but whether you have or not, I guarantee you that this story is going to motivate, intrigue, and inspire you. Anita's story is a story of one of our worst nightmares, and that is being a victim of a con artist and losing everything. Welcome,
2: Anita. Well, welcome to accepting my story and uh, having me on here I'm so thrilled that you happened to watch Dr. Phil that day.
1: <laughs> oh, I am so I am too. I'm excited. This was not the first time you were a victim. You were the only child of an alcoholic father. Yeah. You were a breast cancer survivor. You were a victim of physical and emotional abuse by your first husband. And then, what's your story that we're going to tap into today, you were the target of a compulsive gambler and a criminal predator. So let's just go back a little bit. Before your encounter with art, did you feel like a victim? Did you feel that you already in your lifetime had suffered enough at the hands of
2: others? I don't know if I'm a naive person. I don't know what I would describe myself as. But I just considered everything. This is what life has handed me. And I went on. Okay. I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't feel that I was a victim. I know now that I was, but uh, it just happened. And like when I was uh, eight years old, seven, and eight years old, how our friend raped me. Well, I hid that for a long time. Never talked about until I did this book. But it's just, well, that's part of life. Just go on. It's part of life. Go on. For all these different things that happened. There's nothing I could do to change it, is what I used to think.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And I don't know how else to explain that. But uh, even with art, when all this was happening... I I kept thinking, well, I can't believe this is happening. I said, God, I'm a good person. I'm a generous person with people, and I love people. I never want to hurt anybody's feelings. Why me? That's what I kept asking about. Mm.
1: I don't think that it's the fact that you considered yourself naive. I think that you were trusting and that you realized that bad things happen to good people
2: oh yes you know and just
1: accepting that and i think there there are many people like that in this world and they don't expect the you know that the life is going to hand them a bowl of cherries Uh so it's not naivety it's just you are being very factual and a realist
2: that's why i said i didn't know how to describe it right it's been quite a journey though.
1: (laughs) So, so tell us about um the abuse that you encountered with your first marriage
2: well, we were quite young when we married him. That's not, I'm not making that as an excuse, but back in those days, you didn't live together and things like that. So uh-huh. like, uh, I and mean, we had a big Catholic wedding and I was, I loved him dearly. But I, as of now, when we think back on it, family and everything that we think maybe he was bipolar, you know, something like that,
1: uh-huh.
2: he, he, he was such a good person, a good worker and, and um, just he was good, but there were just moments that he if you didn't do what he wanted him to do, it was terrible. And the first big fight we ever had was he wanted me to use a paring knife like his mother used instead of a vegetable peeler. It was so, <laughs> listen, it was so bad, though, that he broke my arm over it.
1: Oh my, sorry yeah, for I, laughing, that's but that's the, I can't, you know, that's just how ridiculous it is.
2: Absolutely. and then But I stayed, I kept thinking, well, if I'd use that paring knife, it was my fault. I kept blaming my fault, all oh, myself. All the time for everything that would happen. And then he started getting really strong with my daughter. And uh, so I decided, well, but before that, uh, this one day we were building a house. And uh, so we, we put everything in uh, uh, storage, furniture and everything. Uh-huh. And then we built this one, rented this one bedroom apartment. And there was really nothing to do. And he wasn't, I wasn't allowed to take a nap, but he caught me taking a nap. And he came in, and he ground his knuckles in my cheek and woke me up. And he said, you know, uh, Beach, what are you doing, sleeping? I said, well, everything's done. There's nothing to do. And I was just resting. He took the flour and the sugar and threw it all around the apartment. And oh. he says, now you have something to do. So I cleaned it up. And the next morning, it was on a Sunday. The next morning, I said, when he left for work, I said, I'm leaving today. I'm getting a divorce. He said, and he said, you don't have the guts. But I did. As soon as he left, I packed up my children, my daughter's clothing and mine, went to my mother's, went to the bank, and went to the divorce attorney. And after that, it was rough. He, he fought me a lot. He used to break my windows out of my car, flatten my tires. It was very—he harassed me. But, you know, my daughter just buried him this past week. And uh, he had remarried, and he had twins— and we were all close, and I'd forgiven him for everything, and his daughters and my son are the same age, and they used to come to our house for holidays with my last husband. We'd uh-huh. have holidays with my daughter and all the grandkids, so we all forgave each other, and it was uh, it was a good thing I was proud of that Angela and I were talking about that yesterday. my daughter she showed me pictures of the burial site, and I said, "I'm so glad." that we were able to spend holidays together and she was too so that was forgiveness right there
1: (laughs) and you started off right you started off by forgiving rather than hoarding bitterness Mm -hmm. and so possibly that um, that may have sustained you and helped you when you had to forgive later in life with art and others Mm -hmm. so what so that that's your first marriage then you got breast cancer when was that and and tell us a little bit about that
2: Well uh that's just 2 years ago Okay
1: okay I
2: i remarried I married Alan's father Dr. Falco That's my second husband Okay and uh we were married 11 years but it was uh, he wanted an open marriage and I was having trouble with that <laughs> And I wrote about that in my book. Okay. Uh, okay. And uh, and then the crash happened and he was killed along with uh, three, went to three other men. And our son, Alan, who was 10, was the only survivor.
1: That was an airplane crash?
2: Yes. Uh-huh. He became, he's a doctor, general practitioner. And then he, he learned to fly just for pleasure. And then he said, you need to fly. So I became a pilot. And then he bought the school. So... I was, I was. Uh, I guess I was a very confident person then because I, I was so proud that I could fly. I really was, and because uh, I never dreamed. I used to be a flight attendant, so I some of the jump seats and how do you know how to do all that? You know those, uh-huh. all those charts and everything, and instruments. But I was real proud the day I learned how to fly, and I still brag about it. I probably you should. should. <laughs> I probably shouldn't but I do. I, I it's a legal high, you know. So I yeah. brag about. it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's that's very important. So it's interesting that you said that you were very conf- you were a very confident person at this time. I have a feeling that that probably was stolen from you at some point later on down the road.
2: Oh, oh very much so. Okay, so, so
1: well, we're we're going to be talking about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving forward then, uh you're married to your third husband?
2: Well, should we talk about, finish that story about that plane crash? Because that's where I met, that's how art comes into okay, play. Okay,
1: I wasn't aware of that. I apologize. Please. Yeah.
2: Yes. Okay, so um, they were going to Michigan to go, sam- Michigan, to Tawas, Michigan to go salmon fishing for the day. I was supposed to go with them, and I canceled out that last minute and said, oh, just make it a man's day, and I'll see you tonight when you get home. So they left about uh, three three in the morning. And, uh, I'm not sure right now what time they crashed, but the plane crashed. They all were killed instantly except for my son. And they couldn't find him for eight hours. He laid in the plane, critically uh. injured. In my book, I have a few pictures of the, how he survived. Nobody knows. Well, I do. Because when the press interviewed me, I said, God just threw him in the back of that plane and kept his arms around him. Huh. That's my only, only answer to that. Because why, why do you think he survived? God had his arms around him. That's why. And protected him. But he was in intensive care for a long time and oh, just a lot of things wrong with him physically. And the day uh, he we buried his father, I came back to the hospital and he said, Mom, when are we going to bury Daddy? And I said, well, I closed the door then. I said, Alan, we need to talk. And. I sat down beside him and took, he's only 10, remember? He's in a cast and all that. And I don't know what I'm going to, how do you, you never talk to to a boy about this. So I started saying, I took his hand. I said, Alan, I just came back from burying daddy. So we cried and we cried and we cried. Uh, So I said, Alan, you know, daddy wouldn't want to live hurt because he loves to play golf and all the different things. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't be a real daddy. If he, had, if he had lived. So God started looking around. And he said, I want to find the best doctor I can find to come up here and take care of angels or any problems we have in heaven. And he looked down and saw your daddy and said, this is <laughs> the best doctor I can find. And he called him to go up to heaven to have him take care of anybody that had any problems in heaven. <laughs> and I said, he's going to be sitting up on the clouds watching us. He's going to be yelling at you and yelling at me to behave and he's going to be watching over us, and, and we're going to be fine. So one of the papers came out to interview us, and he sat there and told them the same story I just oh. told you. <laughs> <laughs> so we went through a lot, and then a couple years later I married Bob, uh, CEO. He was the president of Wendy's at the time. And uh, and uh, we were together 25 years when he died really? of cancer. Together thirty years, but then married twenty five when he died of cancer. Yes,
1: you've had a lot of emotion during this time. You've gone through a lot of loss already, and before you met Art, do you think that that's what you were looking for? You were looking for love. You were looking for acceptance, or what motivated you to connect with him?
2: Well, I lived a very exciting life. It seemed like when I was with Executive Jet. Because I used to date General Lasseter, and he had his own jet, and we'd fly around the country. I was engaged to Henry Mancini for a while, and got to go to Academy Awards. So I had a, a, a art. I was not infatuated with art. Oh, okay. Celebrity. You, you would. Perry Coma was my neighbor. We used to sing together all the time. I mean, and all this is in my book and pictures and things like that to tell the whole story. So I wasn't. I wasn't infatuated with art. That's my point. Isn't that kind of what you ask me? How yes, I came into yes. My life? yes. So I was not infatuated with him. I had not seen him since the day he came out to our house to bring Alan autographed footballs and different things like that because he was in a terrible depression. I had a child psychologist working with him five days a week. And Are you talking
1: went, about your son now? Yes, yeah,
2: my okay. son. Back to my son. I'm sorry. Yeah, he five days a week, and they couldn't get him out of his depression. He'd cry. It was sad because he was in the plane for eight hours, and they're hanging upside down. Mm. And, he, and he's his leg is all almost severed, and he's laying there with all kinds of burns on him. And he's like, why isn't Daddy helping me? He couldn't understand it for eight hours before they could find him. Art came out, and Art got him out of his depression. When he started going to school, then the principal even called me. He was going to school in a wheelchair then. I had to take him. and principal called and said, "You know, Alan's out of his depression now. He's talking about football. And he took all of the things with him, the items, and he was excited again. So that was the end of that. 30 years later, my friend Mary said, Arch Sleister's speaking at the church. Why don't you come and hear him? Yeah. His mother were touring. The state telling people do not vote for ga- casinos to come to Ohio because cam- gambling will destroy your families. When I went up and introduced myself, and uh, he wanted to know, and I had just bought a book from him, never knowing that uh, I was going to see him, and I had him sign it, and he wasn't selling the church. I just happened to buy it somewhere. And what kind of book? Uh, his book called "Busted." It's all about him and him in okay. prison and, and college and all that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, And I bought it for my son's birthday. And I uh, hadn't given it to him. And I thought, well, I'll go get that autographed as well. And then Art wanted to know how he was doing. And I said, well, he's. Uh, I'm getting ready to have a, a birthday party for him if he'd like to come and uh, attend the party and surprise him. And I gave him my number. And, and then he called and said, well, I can't make it. I'm going to be out of town. I said, okay, that's fine. Well, then he called me back a few days later and said, I'd like to come and hear what's going on. And uh, I didn't want to go to lunch with him, so he came out to my house. And I was on a Friday. My housekeeper was here with me, and he brought us Wendy's. And we sat around here and talked. <laughs> <laughs> and then he turned the TV up. Uh, and He said, boy, that's a nice TV, and I didn't think anything about it. Now I know now he didn't want Shirley to hear what we were talking about. And what he wanted to do is borrow $10,000, to buy a car to drive to Indianapolis, Carmel, Indiana, to reestablish relationships with his daughters, and he needed transportation. Could so I look?
1: Who was Shirley?
2: My housekeeper.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: And so I, so I, I felt, I felt that I could do it financially, and I had a reason to help him because he helped my son, and also he was on two radio shows here in Columbus. Uh, the uh, magazines were praising him and articles, and the newspapers, and how he changed his life around. And well, the whole city welcomed him again with open arms. So I got signed papers. You know, what do you call those uh, notar- notarized papers and stuff like right. that? Signed, signed. That was <laughs> that was how it all started.
1: Now, did you not question it at that point at all, or were you just? You just wanted to help him. I mean, possibly, why is he asking you when, even though you said that about your son? But was there any doubt? Was there any question? Or did you just feel totally confident that this was okay to do?
2: No, I felt, like I said, he was doing a radio show. He had had credibility in my mind in this city again. So I believe that he was not gambling anymore, and he was trustworthy again. He Because if you'd hear what all he said in church, this is what my pastor still talks uh. about this day, he was going around to all these churches and just lying to them because he, he was gambling at the time but telling everybody that he wasn't. He was lying to everybody getting wow. money from people. And uh, he was conning many, many people. And there are many people in this city, influential men, that have been with him, have given him money, and, and it even went in to do tickets with him to make money with him that would not come forward and talk to the police and they wouldn't press charges. And, and like the authorities told me, the prosecutor stood there and shook my hand and said, Mrs. Barney, we could not have done this without you. And wow. because nobody else would come forward. But I wanted him off the streets. I didn't want him doing this to anyone else and destroy their lives. I'd already lost my life. Well, you're yeah. getting
1: ahead of the story now. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. Okay. And so you gave him the ten thousand dollars. Then what happened?
2: Well, he gave some back. Uh, his attorney called me, supposedly, allegedly, and they wanted to borrow hundred thousand dollars because he was getting a hundred and thirty thousand dollars in February. And they gave me the note and everything. And it could be they could pay back then, and all these promissory notes and. Mm-hmm. So, and I believed it. And, uh, what and was the I, money supposed to be for? To pay his, some of his debts to people. He owed people money. And, um, that's about all. They didn't give me a whole lot of detail, really. So I felt, I felt, you know, this attorney, I, I believed him. He called me. They called me about three times and kept after me about it. And, uh, I, I didn't just jump in and do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought about it, and thought about him working, and listening to him radio, and and I thought, well, I, I believe it'll be all right. And getting money from the book, they showed me the money that was going to come in, but they didn't give it to me. And that's how it all started. Then they started paying me back bits and pieces. Then they not pay me back, and it was just back and forth, like a bouncing ball.
1: But yet, did you did you still trust him, or were you beginning to doubt at this point?
2: Well, I was beginning to doubt but he'd always he, the law enforcement people said they knew that he was lying every time they talked to him, but he was so convincing they convinced him he was just such huh. a, and he convinced me i, I want to back out no now, let me tell you why and he just started the spiel and and i he convinced me and make me believe and uh and that's why. I, I, I hated myself because I felt I was naive, I was gullible, mm, mm-hmm. and oh, I was I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed. And uh,
1: and yet you continued to give him money.
2: Well, then he started threatening me.
1: Okay, so tell us what happened there.
2: Well, he say "If you don't do this, then I am going to leave town. You will never see a penny or dime, of your a penny of your money back. Your children." will have nothing. And so you must do this because I've got to invest in this so that I can make the money to pay you back. Okay. And, but he was always threatening to leave and either take the money and gamble it or just disappear. And I'd never see him or never get my money back. That's how it started at first. Okay. I hesitate to give him the money, but I'd say, I'll pay you back next week. Or ten days or thirty days it'd always be something because uh-huh. this person's paying me, I've got the money coming in I trust me I mean you would I've got telephone calls in this book, even things he would say, and uh he was just very convincing, and then especially having his attorney calling me yes did that,
1: you did you confide in your friends at all at this point?
2: No, not really, uh no, not okay. really, Okay, okay. No.
1: All right, so continue. So he's threatening you, and he asked for more money.
2: Yes, and then, and then oh, my goodness, it, he just kept asking for more, and then he'd pay me back, and then he'd ask for more, pay me back. Then he, I was running out of money. Then he'd have me call people and ask them for money, some of his friends, and say, Art needs this, and he'll pay you back a certain amount of time. And at this date, and he'll give you the interest as well. And I'm backing, he tell them I was backing the check. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what he was telling everybody. Plus, he was telling them I was supporting his, um, uh, what does he have? Uh, something against, against gambling, some website he had. So they, he was just using me as well, which I didn't know that. He was, he was getting money from people and using me as a backup, I suppose. I don't know what word I would be. Um, that if the money, oh, he say, okay, I'm, I need this money, and I will pay you back in such and such a time. If I don't, Anita will pay you back. Okay, I think that's what he was. How he was telling people, which I didn't know he was doing this. Oh, so of course, she,
1: mm-hmm,
2: and she she has money. Her husband's uh, uh was the co founder of Wendy's and CEO, and she's got all this money. She's doing this and doing that. He was telling him all kinds of lies, like he was telling me, which I didn't know though. You know, he was just lying to everybody.
1: So he felt uh, justified. evidently yes of course he he was uh, making excuses so that he could justify his actions yes so now you're into him or he's into you rather for x amount of dollars you're starting to feel threatened yes and yet um as a result you are allowing him to get money from your friends correct
2: he would he's i said i do not have any more money and uh, I was shocked that I didn't. I thought I had this other account. And I, it, it was just going so quickly. I was, It was so quick. It happened so quickly. The lies, the convincing, and me being on this whirlwind. And I just can't believe to this day that it happened. And I'm still embarrassed and ashamed about it. But
1: How much money and what kind of period of time?
2: Oh, it was a short period of time. A year, something like that. And the time everything now that everything is totaled up and gone, it's including cars and I have no place. I'm losing. I already lost my condo. I'm losing this condo. Three million dollars.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: I have nothing now. I have nothing. I don't even have a credit card. I have nothing. But you know what? I keep saying that. But I do have God now. And that's what keeps me going.
1: Now, the next step you um started working with the authorities how did that come about
2: well he kept he'd have me call my friends and ask them for money he would usually dial the number and then give me the phone and he'd have a script there for me to read and i would say uh I need the money for this and I'll pay you back in this certain time and you'll get this much interest back. And at first I was excited because I thought I was going to make the money. Mm. And I thought I, I went to people that worked for us at our golf course because I didn't have a lot of money. I thought oh, we're going to make money. I'm so happy for you. And that's how it really all started before I was convinced he was scamming me. But prior to that, I was excited. and That's why I went to my friends because he would pay. We paid some back and I believed it
0: some just make
2: money and then he stopped then he would do it again so then then i didn't want to do it anymore and that's when he started really threatening me and the threats were very vulgar and things he had friends from prison that would do anything he wanted and they were going to do certain things to my son and to my daughter and that's and he says and if you go to the law I will, I will definitely do it, have it done. I will call my friends and this is what we're going to do to your children. So I kept doing it and I kept helping him and I cry and I beg, I I wish you could hear the, oh, so then, uh, so then I, I, this has got to be stopped. I finally said, this cannot continue. I don't care what happens to me. I will go to prison if I have to, to get this stopped and to get him off the street, I don't care what happens to me. I fell to my knees in my living room. And I said, and I hadn't been really talking to God because I was ashamed anyone to talk to God. Hmm. And I fell to my knees, Carol. And I, and I said, God, I thought I could do this on my own, but I can't. I need you, God. I turned my life over to you. Please help me. Please tell me what to do. And I went to bed and I cried. I slept well. I woke up the next day and I called the FBI in Cincinnati, and they gave me the prosecutor's office here. And the next day, the assistant prosecutor and the victim's advocate came out, and that was when. And then the next day, the detective came out, and I started taping his phone calls.
1: How long of a of a time frame was that that they were um, that you were helping them?
2: Um it was right uh when we stopped at the super bowl because he he was getting money for selling tickets getting money to, for super bowl tickets mm-hmm. which he didn't come through with now he had me selling tickets to my friends uh not a, he was just needed the money and they got tickets and they weren't upcharged or anything like that and uh, i was happy to get tickets that's another way he you know con me or had not con me, he was convincing me. I guess uh-huh. okay. Yeah, that's the word. And uh, my friends got their tickets, and they paid, you know, uh, whatever it cost, no charge And and so I, th- that's what was going to happen with the Super Bowl. I only sold two of those tickets to my neighbors, but they didn't get their money, and they didn't get their tickets. Uh. And that's when the police came in. They wanted to arrest him before the Super Bowl, but I said, "Can we wait till after the Super Bowl?" Because he may use that as an excuse that he couldn't get the money because they arrested him. So they waited, like I asked him to do until mm-hmm. after the Monday after Super Bowl. And then that's when they went after him, called him in. So the time frame, though, I'd have to go back to that. Um, let's see what I said. That was January. December, uh, maybe four months. Okay. Now, I'm not positive about that. that that's
1: fine. I just was okay. trying to get a picture of it. Okay. And, so and go ahead. He
2: would call me all day long sometimes 30 50 times a day every 15 minutes where are you what are you doing he suspected i was going to the police and he'd say are you wired are you taping all this and i never lied to him or anything i'd say why would you think that uh. and, and uh, i had to i had to become an actress because <laughs> the, the uh a lot of the authorities had questions they had down for me i had to ask and try to find information out from him without him being uh, suspicious So I was working doing the undercover work and it was quite something. I literally put my life on the line to do this because they didn't even, they were worried about, he would try to harm me or have somebody harm me. And we were scheduled one day to meet at Panera and, uh, they had three detectives sitting in there, sitting in certain places in case he, he would get violent with me, but I wouldn't think he would do that there anyway. But, uh, uh, he didn't show up. He called and he said, I can't make it there. I'll meet you behind Kroger's. Hmm. Well, that was the end of that. We didn't do anything, but no. And then towards the end, after he talked to the police, he said, I will you come down to mom's? He was staying at his mother's in uh, Washington courthouse. He said, I need to talk to you. I said, about what? He said, just come down. I need to talk to you for about 20 minutes. I said, we can talk over the phone. I said, it's an hour drive there and an hour back. Why can't we just talk over the phone? I need to see you in person. And the police were saying he's gonna but you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna harm you. He's gonna really? threaten you some more. Oh yeah, they wouldn't let me near him. And I had twenty four hour police protection here. They were guarding my house because he before I called the police, he, he had people watching my house. He had people following me as well. And so I was slept-
1: it like a, a group of people that were in the same con and were they conning did you find out were they conning other people as
2: well? Art was. These are people that worked for him. He would, they would get money and tra- pick up money for him and take it over to Indiana. Or, and then I would get money and give to these people to take to art. I didn't seem that much. Uh, hmm. He was. These people worked for him. It was a couple, and then this other guy he went all through school with. And uh, now he were, was a
1: quarterback too, wasn't he?
2: Yes, very, very successful. Woody Hayes uh, is the one that recruited him. And then when he was fired, Earl Bruce took over and Earl Bruce, uh, he, he was his coach then. And Earl used to try to help him. In fact, Earl got him the radio job and he used to go to prisons to see him and try to help him. And, and he would lie to Earl and the stories that I've heard hmm. from Earl. And, uh, uh, it's ironic now that Earl and I have been dating for about four years now. <laughs> oh that's funny four years this month
1: Yes. okay so we're gonna we're gonna go back again we're kind of jumping around here but that's okay because we're telling the whole story so what um so now the fbi is involved and and what happened that they actually were able to catch him like what was the what happened there
2: well they started playing games with him then they were putting uh putting pressure on him and i was a part of that um The phone calls that we'd make to him, we started made up stories that they were calling me in about a check I'd written. This was all make believe and Mm -mm. just putting pressure on it. Got his mother's handwritten uh, signature, rather, and which was nothing. They were just pressure putting pressure on him. And so then uh, they got in touch with him to come down, oh, down to uh, headquarters, and he confessed everything. And I have all this on tape and videotape. Him confessing that I did not know anything, uh, what, how he he threatened me, uh-huh. all the stuff. Everything's on tape. The video's mine. I have it here at the house. And uh, so they gave him a week uh, to come in and turn himself in during that time. Now, his attorney thought he would probably kill himself. He wouldn't turn himself in. And I thought maybe he'd just run. But uh, he didn't. He actually turned himself in. And then, then he was on probation and he wouldn't, uh, he'd never be there when the probation officer would come out to do drug tests on him. And they finally got him for, uh, he was doing cocaine and they got him, put him back in jail for that, which I never saw him do drugs. I wasn't around him that much, mm-hmm. but one time he stopped by the house here unexpected. Like I said, I didn't see him very often. It was mostly just phone calls all night long, even. I don't know if maybe he was on pills and couldn't sleep. I don't know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he came in here this one time and he started circling my cocktail table. And I, I sat, when I came in, I sat down here at the table and he says, we got fires to put out. And he started circling. He had his phone in his hand. He's circling. It was over 20 minutes. I know because I finally started t- timing him and he circled and circled. I thought he was going to kill me or kill him or uh. both of us. Uh-huh. Uh, because he was so, he was sweating, he was shaking and he'd already talked about us committing suicide and both of us. And I said, sure, you go first. And that's how much I trusted him then. <laughs> 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 and he circled and I didn't move. I didn't say you want anything to drink. I just sat there And pretty soon. I got to go. And he left. I locked my door and, and my son taught, brought his shotgun and taught me how to use the shotgun. And I had a pistol in the closet and a shotgun and a cell phone in my closet. And, I, and Alan said, if somebody comes through three locked doors, you just start shooting. And, <laughs> because it was scary. I didn't know what was going to happen. Of course. It just was a nightmare. I just can't believe it.
1: <laughs> so he turned himself in. Uh-huh. He was convicted of what?
2: Fraud. Money laundering. Bad checks. I... I I don't know everything. Okay, that's fine. So it's th- in anyway, Nepal.
1: there was there was, so he's obviously still in jail.
2: Well, they gave him 20, he got 20 years, 20 from the federal court and in the state court. I believe that's how it works. And, but he's doing 10, is it consecutively? Is that the word?
1: Mhm.
2: Yes. But he still had some time from Indiana, so I think totally 13 years. But he's been in been two years three years something like that two years maybe i mean it seems like it'll be out in no time
1: exactly are you you concerned about that at all
2: well dan and i my writer co writer we talk about being there in court to say you let him out before look what he did to her you're going to let him out again and let him do this to other people so Mm -hmm. we're going to fight it if we can and uh but i am concerned this is my friend say when he reads this book what are you going to say well i'm alive this is my life god's watching over me if that's to be it's to be and then i joke and they say just make sure it's headlines <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you wrote your book now when did you do this after he went to prison
2: yes this past november we uh, we published self published it
1: and how is it doing? Like, are you are you getting any feedback from people who have gone through similar experiences or what what has been happening?
2: Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And that makes me feel better because I thought I was the only one. Like I said, I felt stupid, guilty, naive. And one of the girls, we correspond daily. She lives in Virginia. And she sold some property for him. They had met in rehab quite a Back some time ago, and as soon as she read this in the paper, she emailed me. In fact, her emails are in my book as well. She said the same thing. I felt alone I felt guilty i i didn't. and it was, she was glad to hear that she wasn't alone. Sorry, I was going through what I went through but we we correspond, and there's some others
1: he's in prison you've written your book you're you're trying to make restitution. is that correct
2: absolutely uh my my attorney i don 't even know how you you saw what dr phil said i i don't I know how to explain it that well that he went to court that I' not be responsible for that, but it was thrown out, and I do have to be responsible and I said it didn't matter what the court said, I still in my heart need to mm-hmm. be responsible for it, and that's why i I put everything in this book it's been <laughs> kind of embarrassing the things I talked about and Mm -hmm. everything but I was trying to be as truthful as I could be and I I was and and, uh, I well, you felt
1: responsible right for for your friends being taken and you were trying to do the right thing now has this backfired on you at all with with your friends
2: to some of them yes before that that's why they were very angry because I wouldn't answer any calls. I wouldn't talk to them. But I, I couldn't talk to them because I was doing undercover work. And the police even took my phones out because they were calling and threatening me. Well, I'm going to go to the police if you don't call me. And I couldn't call them. And now they're now that some of them have learned the truth, they've forgiven me. And, and we talk. And some of them, yes, have come back. Some haven't. But I understand. I totally understand how they feel. I feel so bad for them. And, and they know how I've always been a generous person. I would not do that to them on purpose. I really thought I was helping them. I was excited about it, but I, I was wrong. I was conned and lied to. And so that's, I need desperately to have a movie made to pay them back because I don't think I can make enough money selling my book to do that, to be quite honest. I've made some contacts with some screenwriters and at one time I see him Right from the beginning when I was just starting this, they talked about me them doing a movie. And I was so encouraged that it kept me going. Then when I submitted the book, they said, well, they're not ready to do this type of movie right now. So I was very disappointed, but I stayed strong and said, God's timing's everything. So I calmed down. <laughs> I tried to kill myself three times. Did you know that? During, the,
1: during this time?
2: Oh, yes. Yes. I didn't know how else to get away from him. I didn't know what to do. And I took my husband's gun out to the cemetery, and I taken the safety off the gun. And Alan called me, my son. Mom, where are you? What are you doing? I said, well, "I'm oh, out." Oh my goodness! It, right, I'm out the cemetery. I was crying. God forgive me, but I don't know what else to do. And and I just was ready to die. And. uh, this is funny now. We laugh about it. I even had my makeup on and all that, you know.
0: Uh.
2: When I came after, we laugh about it now. But I just, uh, and then Alan said, Mom, what are you doing? And he heard me crying. And you know, he got in his car to come out to look for me while I left. And then he called me, Mom, where are you? I said, well, Where are you? He said, I'm at the cemetery looking for you. And I said, Well, I, I don't, I'm not going to tell you where I am because I didn't want him to see the gun. Mm. And I was hiding behind a school so they couldn't see me. And he got on the phone and called Art and says, leave my mom alone. You are killing my mom. Leave her alone. So Art calls me. He says, what are you doing? Alan said, you're trying to kill yourself. And I said, yes, I don't know how else to get out of this situation that you put me in and what you've done to me. I don't I want to die. He said, well, you know, if you do that, they'll take they'll they'll arrest me for your murder. I said, well, I hope they do. <laughs> <laughs> and then another time after I had I went down for community service, I came home and took some pills. And uh, his attorney happened to call me then. What are you doing? He could tell from my voice that I drugged myself. And he says, don't do it. So that brought me to my senses. Mm. And, I, and then a third time, the prosecutor had called me. And he knew, he could tell I was drugged. And he says, Anita, you know, if you do this, you're going to be dead. Your family's going to be devastated. And Art's going to be on the street doing this to other people. people. Is this what you want? You've been through this hell. And now you're going to do this and let him be free. And that woke me up. And I promised God then. I said, God, I promise I will never do this again. I get the message. And I've been fighting ever since.
1: And how did you forgive him?
2: I feel sorry for him. He has a problem. He hurt his mother, his family, his children. I mean, I'm just a stranger, and he hurt me and destroyed me, but he's destroyed his whole family, and I feel sorry for him. He does have a problem, but he does belong where he is right now for harming people because he's been in rehab, and that didn't help him. So I suppose he should be where he is as punishment. Maybe this will wake him up. I, I, he was in there before as well, and it didn't work. But I, I really have forgiven everybody that has harmed me in my life or been the people that have been very abusive verbally to me during all this, mm. and the names the people call me. I understand. I put myself in their place. Okay. And I, I can see where they're hurt. I hurt them. So I forgive them for their anger and everything, because I hurt them, and I feel bad about it. That's
1: and a very good point, you know, to put yourself in the other person's position and try to understand what they're feeling, and then it helps to forgive. That's, that's an excellent point.
2: And I too. And these people are such wonderful people. They were such dear friends and they trusted me so. And, and I lied to them because art was making me lie and I was dying when I would do that. I mean, I, I was hysterical all the time. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. Uh, then I wanted to die and it, it was just, it's just been terrible. My family disowned me. My children weren't talking to me. My cousins, everybody was mad at me. Friends, neighbors were talking about me. I was totally rejected by everybody. But
1: there's, there's been restoration now, right?
2: Some, yes, not total. Okay, but well,
1: it's still pretty fresh, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. I invited uh, a dean, one of one of dean Dean used to be a part of our life. He's African American, African American, and he is our family. I had him there all of our holidays. He was our trainer. He works at their golf course, and. I took his life savings. I remember him uh. telling me that, but I said, and I said, but look, we're going to make you 15,000. He's going to give you $15,000 back interest. And I said, isn't that exciting? I'm so excited for you. Well, it wasn't true. And wow. I did invite Dean. We've talked. He said, I knew you couldn't do this to people on purpose. Something had to be wrong. And uh. then he said, I invite him to come to Christmas dinner with me because he always was holidays with us. And he says, Anita, I, I love you and everything, but it's a little bit too raw right now. Exactly what he said. Mm. So uh, understandable. Oh, absolutely. well, th-
1: this is the beginning. You know, you're you're on the right track. You're certainly trying to, you know, compensate those who who have been hurt and who have been robbed yeah. <laughs> per se. You know, at the hand of art. And you're even though the courts have said that it is not you, that you were the victim. I mean, you're trying to um, do whatever you can, and I applaud you for that because that's not easy. I mean, you could easily walk away and say we're all victims here, but you're taking a step with your book and now hopefully a movie and whatever other means that uh, you can get out there in social media for people to hear your story, to share your story, to buy your book and to help you get back on your feet.
2: Yes, I I will probably always be in debt. (laughs) But I none of the money goes to me. I have we have an account open where all the money goes to my victims, my friends. Uh, from any any money from the book okay, or anything like okay. that I, I get no money back and uh i live on social security now is it's small but i survive i, I don't know where i'm going to live when i they kick me out of my condo now but uh, uh i will survive and i'll be okay i'm just trusting in god and no, go ahead and i'm also speaking at rotary clubs okay and uh i've never done anything like that i'm speaking <laughs> 200 men at a time and then they you know afterwards they have questions and answers and then they buy the book and some of them and um, and that's encouraging me I mean, it makes me feel so good that I'm getting the word out good and uh, I just can't believe at 74 that what I'm doing <laughs> I just can't believe it I'm really getting you're do. getting
1: young again
2: I, I do I do feel <laughs> that way I know but here I have written a book and out speaking and I I really like it I just so that I can Give everybody, tell them about a con artist, what they can do and how quick they can happen and how good God is. And, uh,
1: so tell just, us some, you you just mentioned one of the things I was going to ask you. Give us some tips. You said you have tips, I don't know if they're in your book or, or that you share when you speak, and how to recognize that you're being conned, especially in a situation like this.
2: Well, this was this was my fault because I was trusting. And I guess that's what how it comes with everybody. I'd never been involved in anything like this or know, didn't know of anyone. But it's ironic. Last night in our headlines of our paper, it was talking about the elderly being conned. That was the headlines last night in our paper. And, and, uh, well, they just get in there and they tell a story and they make it believable. And then they start asking for a little money, and then it grows. For there's another reason for it. And if if anybody suspects that their parents are being conned, my daughter called the state. Said I think my daughter's being conned, and they couldn't do anything about it. But what you need to do is call your local law enforcement. Like I live here in Dublin, that's who needs to be called. The small the smaller law enforcement in okay. your community, not the state. And uh, so th- that's one way of trying to find out if it's happening and try to prevent it. And and I guess the, they should watch their parents' checking account and see if money's being depleted. Um, and if they're seeing somebody uh, that they should not be seeing in their life, a new person in their life helping them out for some reason. That should be questioned as well. I don't know if I'm answering your question properly. Yes, you are. Yes. So those are some things to look for. And I'm sure there's many, many more things that I do not know about. I'm just going by what happened to me, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. And, you know, just call your local authorities and uh, they will definitely check into it. Because it is a big deal right now, all this conning going on over the telephone and everything of how they're, they're conning people, huh, the elderly, right. for that's construction right. work, or you need a new roof or something, but you've got to give me so much down. I mean, it's just uh, – and like some of my friend's children said, Mom, why didn't you talk to me about that first before you loaned Anita money? You know, they were already suspect, but they had already given me the money. Right. So, so that's one thing, just be very – Get a second wise. opinion. There you go. There you go.
1: <laughs> well, Anita, when you're when you're sharing your story today, what I'm picking up is that it is still very raw. It is and it's probably going to take a long time to heal. And I'm really hoping that my audience will be able to help you in a small way by getting your book. By supporting you, there definitely will be people who will want to contact you, and let's make some connections, and if people have uh, similar situations that they either want to share or that they may be concerned about, you know, we don't know how far reaching your story is going to be, and the very fact that you are sharing it from a place of forgiveness, a place of uh, wanting to alert other people, a place of hurt because you definitely have been hurt, and yet you still want to make things right, and that's what's important. I mean, you're not a spring chicken anymore, and you're you know, it doesn't matter because you are trying the best way you know how to alert and to help and to pay back. And so, for that, I applaud you, I thank you for sharing those moments that are not pleasant to relive because we get embarrassed and you know how could I have been so stupid and so trusting but there are other people out there just as you said at one point during the interview that need to hear this too and it'll be an encouragement to them to know that no matter how stupid and how foolish I feel I have been there are other people that when they hear my story they may be helped and that's but I believe is the bottom line with your story.
2: Yes. And uh, when it comes to uh, feeling like there was, there's, the end is, there's no other way to live this. You just have to yes. commit suicide. That's not true. Just hang on for one more day. One more day, because look where I am now. I'm alive. I've, I've fought cancer. I've fought a heart. And, and here I am full of life and hope.
1: And hope, because I like what you're saying. You don't even know where you're going to be living, and yet you're not concerned. And I mean, you're not not falling apart. And that is wonderful. You have learned how to tap into hope, and I applaud you for that as well. So thank you, Anita. I I think that it would be a good idea, maybe in six months or so, to speak with you again to see what else has happened and hopefully we will have an even better report and knowing that things are moving ahead for you and if anybody has been helped because of this story we can certainly incorporate that as well and so I thank you Anita uh, very very much and I look forward to reading your book and I know that my listeners will as well.
2: Oh, thank you, Carol. This has been so wonderful to talk to you and, and hopefully get my word out there. Like you said, and, uh, just thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity.
1: You're very welcome.
2: Thank you again.
0: Thank you for listening to never ever give up hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.